Hello, everyone. You are tuned in to CK Huddle, the podcast that unpacks and simplifies complex money, accounting, and tax topics that impact the bottom line. I'm Ignatius L. Jackson, CPA, and my co-host is Eric Pierre, CPA. We are practicing CPAs with a knack for translating tax and accounting topics into a language that is easily understood. This podcast is for everyone, working professionals, household managers, retirees, business owners, professional athletes, boomerangs, college students, and yes, you. It's time to increase your money management IQ, so let's huddle up. Welcome to CPA Huddle. I am your well-rested host, Eric Pierre, and my co-host, Ignatius Jackson. Welcome, everybody. We are back in the office and better than ever. We took vacations, and so sorry, clients, if I haven't responded to your email, I just got back. Uh, You do need to follow the auto away messages. The auto responder will tell you how you can get answers faster. But yes, we are back in the office. We have our mics. Ignatius had a great uh, vacation. I got to go to Houston and uh, Clearwater Beach, Florida. I have some write-offs. I had business meetings in both towns. That's awesome. That's awesome. My time off was more of a relaxing nature. I didn't want to go travel anywhere, so some time just relaxing pretty nice feel refreshed it was nice you know doing that little podcast last week but yeah the audio is definitely better in 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 these with these microphones so glad to be back in the office and doing some stuff that's right so you know we're gonna be uh we have some great podcasts coming up you know we uh we have some guests we're gonna be talking some interesting things Uh, So stay tuned and uh, we hope you enjoy what we are going to be doing this summer. And we're also hoping to do a remote in Las Vegas. So I guess it comes down to if you and I attend that conference or not. All right. Today's episode, we're going to talk about common mistakes on tax returns. Now that tax season is over. Well, not for me because, you know, I'm based in Texas and our clients in Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma still have June 15th. And then, of course, uh, Nations, I'm sure you're getting requests for people that still need tax returns that are laid or amended or whatnot. So we thought that since, you know, tax, you know, we'll probably be filing tax returns all the way through October. Uh, we thought we'd talk about some of the common mistakes that we see. We're going to talk about the top ones today, and we hope that this helps you so that when you're working with your tax professional, you don't make this mistake. And some of the mistakes uh, that we're talking about are also from the standpoint of the tax preparer. So you ready, Ignatius? Let's roll. All right. First one, not handing over your form 1095 for health insurance. So I know I'm going to hear this diatribe, but well, the government doesn't find you for not having health insurance anymore. That's correct. However, there are states like California where you have to report your insurance. And second, on the 1095, you might actually get a refund on your premium tax credit. That's why it's important to turn that in because if you're a premium tax credit, you may end up getting a refund. And also this year, if you uh, went above your subsidy, the federal government is forgiving that tax payment. So for one client, because they had a 1095, they didn't have to pay back the $5,000 subsidy. You want to add anything to that? And that was in California. Uh, uh, that was for the federal aspect. Well, if you go over the subsidy, you have to pay it back. That's pretty cut and dry. So um, that was a nice bonus that they gave everybody not to have to pay that back. I actually had one client who it benefited 
And so, yeah, it was pretty nice of them to do that. So next one. Now, these are not necessarily order of magnitude. This is what came to mind when we were uh, pre-planning the show. This is more for the client. Client, you need to not, uh, review your text in detail. And one of the big things is that um, those of you that work with the same taxpayer for a few years, you know, we roll over your bank information. You need to make sure your bank information is correct because some of y'all change bank accounts and don't tell us. And then when you sign the return, we so when you sign the return at that moment, we assume that you have reviewed in detail. We go ahead and file it. And when you don't uh, review it and you tell us, like, oh, I gave you the wrong bank account. We already filed it. Well, you're going you're gonna to end up getting it a uh, paper check. And it's going to take much longer. So make sure review every aspect of that tax return, including the bank account. Ignatius, what do you say? Absolutely essential. We've said it at least a few times so far on the podcast show. Um, it's very essential. Have to review your tax returns. When you sign that document, read the statement that's above your signature. It says, under penalties of perjury, I agree with the information in this return, and I take responsibility for it. It's some, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to that extent. So very important to review your tax returns. It's an official document that you're given to the government, and they're not going to accept the excuse that I didn't know, or uh, I did it because my tax patrol told me to do it. So... You gotta know what's going on. Yeah, stop blaming us for your in your inability to taking five to ten minutes to review your tax return. It's your responsibility, ladies and gentlemen. Um, next year, you're gonna uh, my clients are gonna sign a statement before they read the tax return. They're gonna sign a template that says they will have read it uh, thoroughly, and that once we get it back signed, they acknowledge that we're following it, that they're reviewing any changes that can be subject to char- uh, to being charged for it. So one that I was thinking of is that's important. Two things. One, not signing or your, the return and dating it if you actually send it in through the mail. So there's sometimes, there's some cases where you do have to send returns in through the mail because it can't be e-filed because of some rule or regulation or reason or of some sort. Right. Like when there's a fraudulent dependent or something like that and you have to kind of send that in manually. So if those are the cases, it, it's not count as being filed until you sign and date it. And both spouses, if you're married, have to sign and date it. Otherwise, they're not going to accept that return. And if it's close to the deadline, by the time they send you a letter saying you didn't sign it, it's probably going to be late. And now you're getting hit with penalties all because you didn't sign and date the return. So very important to if you do actually mail a return in physically, through the snail mail that you make sure you sign and date it. Okay. The other thing that I, 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 I've been seeing a little bit more and more for some reason lately is if you're married, your filing status generally cannot be head of household. <laughs> it's either married filing separate or married filing joint. Those are your two filing statuses that are available to you. Um, there is a very, very narrow exception where you could do head of household, but that would require you to not be living with your spouse. Um, more and, than six months. Yeah, for more than six months, exactly. And having some sort of legal separation or something like that, like you're going through a divorce or something to that extent. The divorce and decree, you, yeah. Yeah, and you have your 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 kids are within your custody. So that's 
again, a very narrow exception. But generally speaking, especially if you're continuing to be married or you live with your spouse, not going to happen. So you're either married filing joint or married filing separate. So know your, your proper tax status. There's actually a really good tool on the IRS website. If you just search for IRS filing status, they have a really good tool online where you can answer some questions. And if, as long as you answer those questions truthfully, it gives you your filing status basically. Okay. And so if you do that, you, you shouldn't make that mistake. All right. Um, and then dependents know what it takes to become independent. One of the key things of being independent, you have to provide more than half of their support. Okay. That's a key factor. Um, so if you have a dependent that makes a decent chunk of money and it's more than, you know, what it costs for them to have their living expenses or at least more than half of it, you probably shouldn't be claiming them as a dependent. So a little easier, obviously, when your child's younger and doesn't make any money. It's when they get older, like over 18, where it starts to be a little fuzzy, especially if they're away at college with the job and everything like that. Just have to be a little careful with that one. So, yeah, I don't know. Those are those are some other common. Uh, I think you I've got noticed. that. You got that. Yeah. All right. The next one. This is one for tax preparers, particularly CPAs. I've made this mistake before. I'm embarrassed to say it. So make sure, tax professionals, that when you're getting a new client, or uh, like me, I found out this year we changed softwares. Make sure that any carry forwards uh, are captured and put on the return. Uh, I missed a, a net operating loss for a client on a draft. We thought it rolled forward from the old software to the new, and I didn't double check it. And then, you know, the client, you know, busted me about it, and they don't have to pay taxes for another 10 years of this net operating loss carried forward. So it's a big deal to them, which it, it should be. And so that's one thing we, we, we check. We should always check that prior return for the net operating losses, the suspended losses uh, on the passive activity with real estate. No, that's key. That's essential. And it's very important. If you switch professionals, make sure they understand what those carry forwards are. I mean, you should know what your carry forwards are. Um, your, your tax software that the professional uses usually will give you like a report that shows your carry forwards for each year that the return is done. And just make sure that that's one of the reasons why we ask you for your prior return. It's probably one of the primary reasons why we ask you for your prior, your prior return. And I, I can't tell you how many times I ask for that and people are like, why do you need that? And they give pushback. Like, because if you want to make sure that things are done right, we need to take a look at previous years. Um, there could be that on there. It also gives us an indication of if we're missing something. You know, if you had something on your previous year, that's one of the things that we look for. We try to figure out, okay, well, you had this schedule last year. Why don't we have it this year? And we, we just want to double check and make sure that there's not something that we're missing as well. So those are two really good reasons why you should always give your tax pro at least the last year. I asked for the last three years. Personally, that's just what I do. Um, but I generally only give probably the last one or two years because people don't keep their returns in a easily... Yeah accessible place for some reason, which is another good tip to keep electronic files of your tax returns in some place where you can easily assess them. So mm -hmm. just throw that out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. Next one. And this is the one that can get you audited if you don't have this. 
Make, so those of you that found corporate terms, particularly S-Corps, I know C-Corp has that same form. Owner director comp needs to be reported on those tax returns. I see so many prior returns where an, a client is an owner, has a salary, but it's not recorded. I can tell you that this is one, this, that missing information for one of my clients who made a few million dollars got him audited because that item was missing. It triggered the audit. The IRS told us that, admitted it to it. And now we finally finished the audit. It's taken a year and a half. It's been a long journey, but that was one of the triggers was that was blank. Absolutely. That is an automatic flag is my understanding. I don't know if you've heard the same thing. Yes. If you have that box on the S corporation return blank, it's an automatic flag. And then depending on, you know, what distributions you took and, you know, what's on your return. And if they deem it worth their time and effort to kind of send you a letter and follow up on it and audit you, then they'll do that. And th you could be getting away with it only likely because you're not making a lot of money is right. Yeah. You could potentially be getting away with it. Cause I do have a client who, for years, never put anything in that box, never took on a compensation, never got questioned on it. I mentioned it to him and he was like, why do we need, why do I need to do this? I've never had anybody question this before. Yeah, you're right. Eventually it's going to catch up to you, especially if you start making money though. And so it's best just to kind of get it corrected. You passed it on the radar for the last few years. Good for you. But, <laughs> you know, now it's time to get the, the situation resolved. Yeah. So let, let's get you going on the right direction going forward. But yeah, it's very important. You, you want to make sure if you have S Corporation, when you review your return, your preparer should have something in that box. And if you don't do W-2 compensation, there's a way to get around it for, you know, a year, but you really got to start doing some W-2 compensation. It's better to have something there than nothing. It's a lot harder for them to audit how much you're paying yourself and determining what's reasonable versus having nothing there at all. If you have nothing there at all, it's a slam dunk, pretty much automatic. They win that dispute nine times out of 10. When you have something there and they're challenging how much it was and whether that was reasonable, their, their success rate's a lot lower. So I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it, let's just say, five out of 10 instead of nine out of 10 times they, they're successful. So um, that's the key, you, you know, make sure that you have something there, whatever it is, just have something. Um, but obviously if you want to go for the gold standard, make sure it's also reasonable while you're at it. <laughs> Don't have 500,000 of net income and only pay yourself $50,000. That's probably not going to work. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. No, I think you got that. All right, you mentioned this in the <laughs> in the meet in the meeting prior up to this recording. Uh, I'm gonna let you explain it because, like, I don't, I, I would refuse to even do a return with these. But using a lot of round dollar figures, go for it, Ignatius. This is your soapbox. <laughs> this is my soapbox. I don't even know if it's a soapbox, but it is something that I, you know, see sometimes. You know, if you send, if you're sending over documents to your tax preparer. And there's nothing but round dollar figures. Any good preparer is going to explain to you that that's not a, that's not smart. Um, that that's one of the things. So when you file your return, the IRS 
is checking, it does certain checks and balances. And one of the things they check for are round dollar figures because that tends to be something where you're just doing a little pie in the sky estimate. You know, one of those lick your fingers and see what where the wind's blowing kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, no, that's not gonna fly. Now there's, there's cases, I mean, obviously if it's your actual expense, it is what it is. I mean, if, if you bought a training that was $1,000 exactly and that's what shows up on that line, okay, that's fine. But, you know, don't, every single number in your return should not be round dollar figures. That's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Same thing with mileage. You, you shouldn't have 10,000 miles exactly. Like I, if you do, that's like a one in a million chance of having that. So, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, you shouldn't be making up your figures anyways, but if you are making them up, <laughs> make sure they're not round dollars. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I, I understand that some people do. And, and we're not, again, we're not, we've mentioned this before as well. We don't audit your return or your information that you give us. We're looking at it for reasonableness and, you know, we might question a few things if something stands out like a sore thumb, like you only had 10,000 of revenue, but you have 50,000 miles that doesn't make sense or add up in most cases. Well, <laughs> you know, those, those, well, so. wait, 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 those desperate go, Oh, realtors start now do drive a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. 50,000 miles worth. I don't know, but Hey, it, it could be real. If you sell so, real estate, you know, so yeah. some of these realtors, you know, trying to do deals in multiple towns, you can easily yeah. out here in Texas. I mean, my gosh, you know, don't we got a big state. Don't get me wrong. It's possible. I, well, I agree. It's possible. But at that point, you have to. But we'd ask for a log at fifty. That's 000. exactly what I was going to say. At that point, well, I think twenty to twenty-five thousand, so. twenty to thirty thousand a year. I think is reasonable. Yeah. But anything about thirty, I want a detailed log. Yeah, I want to see that you actually have the documentation to support it. Because I actually had a client that got audited because of this. Um, they had literally they had fifty thousand miles on their return, and gave the IRS said, "Where's your mileage log?" They couldn't send them one whole thing got denied got stuck with the accuracy related penalty of 20 percent uh plus late fees and penalties on top of that yeah they had to pay like thirty thousand dollars back to the irs i think it was somewhere in there Ooh. yeah not not something you want to mess around with so which actually it, it was kind of a twofer uh you know since we were talking about something else but we, we got onto the mileage log but that's another one that's another common mistake not having a mileage log for your business very important to have that it's a very easy and common expense to have mileage expenses inside your business to have auto expenses so make sure you keep that log um, even if you use your vehicle 100 percent for business if you, you still have to have that log to support what you're doing so you know very important to keep that use an app there's plenty of apps out there that help you to track your miles. So use one of those and you'll be fine. Right. Uh, cell phone, you know, mm, so the IRS does allow you to um, have cell phone expense for business. And then, you know, for instance, for, you know, for my firm, my God, how many lines do I have rides in like 10 or something with the desk phones and various people, <laughs> uh, office lines. Uh, but guess what? That cell phone has my firm's name on the bill and not my personal name. And it's just, 
Yeah, it while not required, it, truth be told, it's not required to have your firm's name or business name on the bill, but it's definitely helpful. You know, it's it's definitely helpful, um, especially if you don't have another line that you use for personal purposes. That's the key. More so than the name on the bill, I think the key is you have to have a line or some some phone that you use for personal purposes, you know? And if you have, just like a car, you can't consider your car to be 100% business use when you don't have another car that you use for personal purposes. There's no way that 100% of your time is business related. It's just not possible. So, but if you have another car that you use for personal purposes, then you can justify having this other car that might be more expensive. Who cares if it is or not? Um, that is a business vehicle, okay? Same thing with cell phones. You might have this beat up crappy phone that you use for personal purposes. Maybe it's a flip phone. And then you've got your smartphone, your iPhone or whatever. That's your business phone. Keeps it nice and simple. Mm. So, and, and very easily to justify if you ever audit it. So yeah, that, that's <clears throat> what I would say there. And then that way you can kind of prove, hey, I got this phone. I don't even care if it's a prepaid phone, honestly. Or you can use your home phone, even if you want to do that. But you just have to have some kind of communication or phone where that's what you use for personal purposes. And you're not taking any sort of write-off for it, right? So, yeah. But yeah, no, it does help if you have the phone system in the name of your firm or business. Yes. Okay, so another one, a uh, common kind of mistake, treating something as a loan instead of equity or vice versa. Oh, oh, so if you have a loan, guess what is required to have a loan? You have to pay interest. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah, it's mind blowing, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I can't actually have to pay in. Oh, man. Every loan requires some sort of interest payment. So this is a common one that I see out there all the time. it's, It's crazy. So if you don't intend to pay interest and you give money to your business, then it's basically equity. That's all there is to it. Otherwise, if you want to treat it as a loan, and there's some cases where you have to, or you need to treat it as a loan, especially if you have multiple members inside of an S corporation and the other party is not going to give any money to the business and it would create some unequal treatments and things of that nature. You have to do it as a loan instead of as equity. But you have to keep in mind you need a loan agreement and you need to have some sort of interest, which has to be a fair interest rate. It can't be half of a percent when the prevailing rate is 3% or more. And if you were going to go to a, another bank or something and get a loan, you pay you know, 5%. There's no way you can justify half of a percent in that case. So the IRS has some... Uh, interest rates they kind of like a safe harbor almost that you can use but that is another thing to keep in mind when you have a loan you need to pay interest so yeah either direction whether the loan is to the s corporation or to the business or if the loan is from the s corporation or from the business either way you should be Mm -hmm. paying the s corp or business should be paying you interest or you should be paying the business interest, one of the two. Um, yeah, I agree. And by the way, the IRS has the, uh, was it the AFR? So there's a web, they have a website and, you know, the interest rates are, are actually reasonable to do loans. Uh, I did a consultation. 
I consulted a client two years ago, it was a year, a year ago, where he had some land out in West Texas and then it became, so he bought it well before Opportunity Zones and then it became an Opportunity Zone. So the only way that he could take advantage is that he would have to sell it to a new entity. Now, the regular common law doesn't allow you to do things like that. However, the IRS law does allow you to do it, but he had to do it at fair market value and then at and in the loan, so we worked with his attorneys. We got a loan scheduled. He did an amortization table. It was all, and then he paid off the loan quickly. But that's something that a lot of my a lot of clients don't do. Uh, I also know, Nations. I know you do external audits. I do some, not not a whole lot. But when we look at officer loans, it's one of the things we check because if the IRS doesn't think that your loan is of substance, they'll say that's an equity transaction. Let's see what else. Home office, oh. not taking the home office. Oh my goodness, that's an easy that's, one. That's another one. And keep in mind as well. So they they used to come after pretty hard when you have another office or location that you meet customers at. Well, there's kind of a rule change there. Um, it happened a, a few years ago, I believe. Um, there was a court case, um, I believe it was a doctor that basically came in and said, well, yeah, I do meet with my patients at my office. That's where I primarily do that. But I do all my billing and administrative work and everything at the house. So that's kind of, that's my admin office where, where I do a lot of that stuff after hours or before I go in. So I should be able to write off both of them or something to the extent. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Um, and the tax court agreed. So after that, the IRS changed her tune on it. And basically now there's the ability to have an admin office in addition to a standalone office. Now, if you don't have any other office and you only do work from your home, it's a slam dunk. I mean, you, you should be writing that off every year on your taxes. Um, but if you do have that separate office where you meet with customers and do some work, just you have to just make sure that all your administrative work, at least a substantial portion of your administrative work is done from your home office. And then you can write off both still. So, or in the case of a corporation or S corporation, be reimbursed for the use of your home office. There's a there's a distinction there between a Schedule C or a Schedule E or a partnership and S corporations and C corporations. There's a little bit of a difference on how you would do it, but it's possible either way. You got it. Uh, let's see. Uh, another common mistake: not using a financial system like. QuickBooks are zero for your business. I, I don't understand how you have a business and you don't keep, you, you can't even use, I'm trying to be, I'm doing my best to be nice, but I feel like being mean. There's so many cheap options for you to keep your books, okay? QuickBooks even has QuickBooks self-employed if you're like a sole member LLC where you can pay five bucks a month for six months. There's fresh books. There's... I don't know, quantum physics books. I don't know. There's so many things out there. For you to not have a general ledger system in this day and age with the modern technology and how easy it is to tie your bank accounts, your credit cards, it's it's not acceptable. And and then when you don't ha have, have it and you get audited, the IRS is going to look at you cross-eyed. And, and don't, while we're on this topic, all right, you just talked about bank reconciliations. Do your bank reconciliations. If you have the software and you're not doing the bank reconciliations, 
you may as well not even have the software. Like seriously, um, if you if you look at your bank account and it shows negative thirty thousand dollars, and you know your bank account's not negative thirty thousand dollars, you should probably fix something. Something's clearly wrong and off in there. So do your bank reconciliations, reconcile your credit cards. But yes, bookkeeping is essential. We've talked about this before as well. It's also an essential component of uh, keeping your liability protection and protecting yourself from an IRS audit, as Eric mentioned. Very essential. So you, you need to have these things in place so for that documentation so that it's there if you need it. Um, but yeah, don't don't have acid, basically. <laughs> You know, make sure you're you're doing it the right way. Um, and, and if you don't have the skills and experience or the time to want to deal with it, then pay someone to do it for you. Yeah, because um, for instance, you know, QuickBooks has a program. If your decent, if your business is two hundred fifty thousand dollars and under, they can do your they'll do your bookkeeping for you in QuickBooks online for two hundred fifty dollars a month. If you can't afford two hundred fifty dollars a month. To keep track of your numbers, you may not be afford being a business period, and that should be a different discussion. Uh, business owners waste more than that per month on frivolous things. You, you're not both see books, and then they say they can't afford that when they're that small. I I, I don't get that. Agree, agree. Okay, what else, man? We've gone through a pretty good list. I I think those are some really good common issues or mistakes that we see. I'm sure there's others that we're missing. But uh, those are definitely some some good reminders. As uh, Eric mentioned, you know, it's if it, there's still quite a few returns that I think both of us are working through, and there's still a lot of work to be done. And like he said, we're still getting calls from people who need assistance with 2020 stuff. They're generally going to the back of the line, though. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be a while before we get to some of those and. You know, hopefully you had your extensions filed. If you didn't, that's unfortunate. You know, um, there's there's ways that we could potentially get some of the penalties abated, but um, there's no guarantees on that kind of stuff. So I would say try to get your return done as soon as possible if you didn't file your extension for some reason. But yeah, no, I, I think it's pretty good list. So absolutely, man. Um, well, that's all, folks. That's all, folks. Stay tuned for the next episode. Uh, we should have some, I think the next two episodes we should be having guests, but I don't want to jinx it. We're booking the time and recording it, but we're going to uh, we're gonna be talking counter-related, but it's going to be a little bit of a t- different uh, perspective. So stay tuned, and uh, we look forward to providing y'all a value, and hopefully you're able to keep my money in your pocket and less than Uncle Sam's. I thought you were going to tell us a story or something. I, don't I, thought, have... I, thought you, I thought you had some kind of story about some 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 big issue. No, I'm just kidding. All... <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I can't tell my stories all the time, man. People, won't... <laughs> come on. I'm sure the viewers love your stories. Uh, Everybody, leave, I don't, leave I don't... a comment if you love Eric's stories about uh, some of the stuff that he does. Some of the stories are from vacation. I can't share on air. So. <laughs> oh. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, can't violate the bro code. The violate the bro code. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I I'm looking forward to getting back out there doing some traveling at some point this year. It's it's been a while. It's been the longest period of time that I I've gone without traveling actually. So I definitely need to get back out there and do some stuff. Go to my happy place. So well, yeah. thanks everybody for tuning in. Eric, I guess Eric doesn't have a story for us. So 
We're going to go ahead and end the not show there. I'm, not that I'm ready to share it today, but we'll have more. <laughs> the next, you know, the next couple uh, podcasts, actually, we'll have some really good stories that you'll want to pay attention to. Nations, you know, the topics we're going to be talking about. It's just a matter of getting the uh, calendar uh, with the guest, and then I'll open up. You know, they're actually about me and my past, and I think you'll find something interesting. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Well, hope you have a good one. We'll talk to you later. This has been another wonderful episode of the CPA Huddle. Peace. Thank you for listening to CPA Huddle. Add us to your listening rotation by subscribing wherever you get your podcast. Follow CPA Huddle across social media platforms. And for more information about the services provided by our respective firms, please check us out at www.ilcpa.com and www.pierreaccounting.com. We will be back to huddle up soon.